our uh, chapel this morning is on a is is um, being brought by John Lucink, who is with Avant. Um, John suggested that we change topic a little bit and move to uh, something that is relevant and applicable to the current setting. Um, I don't want to completely abandon the topic that we were going to do, so I'm going to do that in about two minutes now. So these are the Cole's notes on, I think, what, um, the, the, which was the reason that we put this item in this series, Mark, right. way back when, you, when we built it. But um, March 24, we had thought we would be talking about us as people of God being God's masterpieces, living stones. The two texts that we had um, tagged for this were Ephesians 2, 1 to 10, Ephesians 2, 1 to 10, and then 1 Peter 2, uh, 1 to 12. Um, the, the idea of being his masterpiece uh, comes out of this verse 10, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We are God's handiwork. We are his stones, his living stones. That was where we jumped across to First Peter 2. As we come to him, the living stone, we also are like living stones. We become like Christ to bring life and build his kingdom. That's what a living stone does. That's the breakdown of those two words. And we're being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices, no longer animal sacrifices, but spiritual sacrifices, acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So we come bringing ourselves to build his kingdom, stones that bring life, stones that complement and strengthen one another. That was the main thought. But we, you, Students, wherever you are, friends and colleagues, staff and faculty, are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation. We are God's special possession. He is doing a great work around the world. Okay, enough on that. I said two minutes. I think I used them all. So as I as I hear you talking about being living stones and uh, figuring out God's calling, on the one hand, it's reassuring to be realize to realize, hey, God's created me as a masterpiece, and He's created me to be these living stones. Uh, but then, if I forget that God is the one that built this platform and this tripod for me to be secure on, all of a sudden I can feel exposed and worried because I'm sitting out there going, okay, God, I'm supposed to do this living stones thing? What is what is this? And as you say, it can sometimes create an anxiety that we had uh, long before COVID came along, the pandemic, I love how you said that, of the last 10 years. And when I was invited uh, onto campus in at the end of November for the Thrive Team Conference, uh, to do uh, the life coaching uh, as we're offering the sessions, I think all three of us found that though we were set up to talk about life choices and life direction, so I'm getting beeping here going on around me and I'm not sure if that's someone telling me important things or not. Uh, we should be good. Okay, you guys can hear me. We're good to go. Uh, this is a new world for me to be talking with headphones on while I'm preaching. Um, so, at Thrive Team Conference, while thinking we're there to do job coaching, the majority of the issues that we needed to deal with up front was just this high level of anxiety, uh, even paralysis. 
uh, and fear. And it brought me back to a story that my dad had told me that when in, he was in his 20s, so this is uh, in the 1960s, he'd graduated from Bible college. The Lord had told him to head out to um, Vancouver to get his GED, immigrated from Holland, and so he didn't have uh, the education where he could keep moving up uh, up to the, never, uh, the next levels of education. And the Lord had encouraged him to get out to Vancouver, had really called him into public ministry, and something weird was happening for him, is every time he got up to speak in front of people, he'd just be filled with this horrible, paralyzing anxiety. And he couldn't figure out what exactly was going on for him. And he felt like he needed to figure this out. So he went to the Lord and begged him. He said, Lord, what are you doing? You've called me to public ministry, and yet I get paralyzed with fear every time I stand up. What's going on? And in his earnest seeking, the Lord brought him way back to when he was between the age of 5 and 10 in World War II, in Holland, occupied by Nazi Germany, hearing the bombers flying overhead, wondering if they're going to accidentally drop their load on him. His parents are downstairs with not a lot of extra energy to come up and comfort and cuddle him. And because they're trying to figure out how to smuggle people that need to escape, like downed airmen, and how to make sure their boys don't get carted off to a work factory in Germany. All these stressors all around. The Lord brought him back to this moment and said, can you understand where your anxiety came from? Will you let me heal you of that? And he did. And my dad entered a lifetime of public ministry. And I'm a part of uh, why I feel comfortable speaking, although it's brand new with headphones on. Uh, why I feel comfortable is because my dad had this peace that came from the Lord. Now, if we think of what we were facing back in November, what my dad was facing back in the 1960s and in 1939 and on, Hezekiah, in the book of Isaiah, faced something equal, if not worse. And I'd like us to turn to our own Bibles, whether you've got that on your device, or you have that ancient paper thing in front of you on your desk. Turn to Isaiah 36 to 37. I'm going to narrate for, the, for you this text. Um, the narration, we'll do it in portions. It will take about 14 minutes of narration, and we're going to punctuate that by stopping every once in a while, and I'm going to ask Mark and Mark to get ready to summarize uh, what they're seeing and, and share a story along the way uh, as we go through. So here we are in Isaiah 36 to 37, and forgive me um, for the product placement here. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers, <But>. buddy. <laughs> I actually do use it every morning. It just fits my, my nice little uh, one-cupper thing really nice. <laughs> so uh, as I read through this, to keep it a little bit interesting, we're reading two full chapters. Uh, I'm going to give accents that may or may not represent the nationalities of the people involved. All right. Verse 1. Here's the setting. Mark and Mark, you get ready to surprise these first 12 verses. In the 14th year of King Hezekiah's reign, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, attacked all the fortified cities of Judah and captured them. Then the king of Assyria sent his field commander with a large army from Lachish to King Hezekiah at Jerusalem. To picture this, when the commander stopped at the aqueduct of the upper pool on the road to the launderer's field, 
Eliakim, son of Hilkiah, the palace administrator, Shebna, the secretary, and Joah of Asaph, the recorder, went out to him. And the field commander said, Ailaris, tell Hezekiah, this is what the great king, the king of Assyria says. On what are you basing this conference of yours? You say you have counsel in mightful war, but you speak only empty words. On whom are you depending that you rebel against me? Look, I know you're depending on Egypt, that splintered reed of a staff which pierces the hand of anyone who leans on it. Such is the Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to all who depend on him. But if you say to me, we are dependent on the Lord our God, well, isn't he the one whose high places in altars Hezekiah removed, saying to Judah and Jerusalem, you must worship before this altar. As an aside, he's kind of got that a little bit mixed up, but we'll let him have his taunt. He goes on. Hi, <laughs> laddies, come now. Make a bargain with my master, the king of Assyria. I will give you 2,000 horses, if you can put riders on them. <laughs> How then can you repulse one officer of the least of my master's officials, even though you are dependent on Egypt for chariots and horsemen? Furthermore, I have come to attack and destroy. Have I come to cut, attack and destroy this land without the Lord? The Lord himself told me to march against this country and destroy it. Then Eliakim, Shebna, and Joah said to the field commander, Please speak to your servants in Aramaic, since we understand it. Don't speak to us in Hebrew, in the hearing of all the people on the wall. But the commander replied, Aye, was it only to your master and you that my master sent me to say these things, and not to the people sitting on the wall, who, like you, will have to eat their own excrement and drink their own urine? And Hezekiah turned to his palace servants and said, Quick, hard the toilet paper. We don't have to, have to touch the stuff. Of course, that's an ad. We're not sure that really happened, but maybe there was a panic and everybody did run to Costco at that moment. So uh, apart from that little addition, Mark and Mark, how would you simply summarize the situation that Hezekiah finds himself in? Well, the word that came to my mind was it looks uh, like it's inevitable that there's, there's something before them that there is no way around it. And even their confidence, where they've placed in their confidence, is being used against them. Mm. And so um, I'm sure that there must have been a lot of not knowing, you know, where the answer was going to come from, but the, the taunts were real. Agreed. Besieged on every front. Yeah. And these guys are more than quarantined. <laughs> right, is, right. Yeah. So this is a legit threat. They've captured all the fortified cities around. And as we're going to hear, uh, it, is, it is very, very real. All right. Going on in verse 13, and we'll go through the end of 22, and I'll get another summary from you guys after this. Then the commander stood and called out in Hebrew. This is verse 13. I then hear the words of the great king, the king of Assyria. This is what the king says. Nay, don't let Hezekiah deceive you. He cannot deliver you. Nay, don't let Hezekiah persuade you to trust in the Lord when he says, The Lord will surely deliver us. This city will not be given into the hands of the king of Assyria. Nay, 
Do not listen to Hezekiah. This is what the king of Assyria says. Make peace with me and come out to me. And each of you will eat fruit from your own vine and fig tree and drink water from your own cistern until I come and take you to a land like your own, a land with grain and new wine, a land of bread and vineyards. <laughs> Nay, don't let Hezekiah mislead you when he says, the Lord will deliver us. Have the gods of any nations ever delivered their lands from the hand of the king of Assyria? Where are the gods of Hamath and Arpad? Where are the gods of Sepharvaim? Have they rescued Samaria from my hands? Who of all the gods of these countries have been able to save their lands from me? How then can the Lord deliver Jerusalem from my hands? But the people remained silent and said nothing in reply because the king had commanded, Well, do not answer him. Then Eliakim, son of Hilkiah, the palace administrator, Shebna, secretary of Doa, and son of Asaph, the recorder, went to Hezekiah with their clothes torn and told them what the field commander had said. What would you guys add to the summary here of what this, the text has been describing to us? Well, if I was going to liken it a bit to the pandemic, I think we see hot spots around the world where things have really gotten out of hand and the numbers are rising, both in those that have the virus and in the number of deaths. And again, I think, you know, how far behind them are we? And so we do a comparison. It happened to them. We're two weeks behind. So it's going to happen to us in a couple of weeks. And so... What the commander is doing here is saying, there was no help for these. And, you know, we overlaid and took over those, and we're just going to do the same thing here. And so it's, it's like you're able to see ahead of time what's going to happen to you. And then you get the speculations. For example, um, there was a headline, I think Elaine might have seen it, but... Um, somewhere in the last four or five days, there was a headline that 60 or 70% of the people of the world will get COVID-19. That is a devastating prediction. And that might be comparable to what they were feeling. The anticipation of what they didn't know is probably worse than the reality of what it would be even. Yeah, yeah. And then, and then this guy's saying, hey, it's inevitable. It's coming. You all are going. And you've got a choice to live. Just, just come out. Just give up your trust in the Lord. He's not going to rescue you. Don't believe him. Don't believe him when he says this Lord is going to rescue you, this Yahweh. Because have the gods of anywhere else helped? And he's just basically saying it's inevitable. Uh, for those of us that are old enough to remember uh, that matrix, it's inevitable. Uh, so I love that line from there. It's coming. <laughs> well, the other thing that the commander does is he even uses the God that they're placing their trust in and says, how do you know? I don't even know if he says it this way, but that I come in that God's name as well. And so, 
you would think there that it's, um, they're stuck both ways. That he, he's deriding them that their God's not going to save them. And on the other hand, he's joining with them saying, this God is going to make me victorious as well. So he's mixing real news and fake news in there to create all sorts of fear and uncertainty. Mm-hmm. Mark? Yes. Yeah. There was a time in our history that I told you about a, 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 when we were prepping for this, John, and maybe I'll tell it mm-hmm. really briefly here. Uh, in I, Early in our time here, um, Elaine had just picked up the portfolio on finance at the school, and she was getting her head around and her arms around uh, what the situation was. Number one, we'd been losing money. And number two, we had a, about a, I think it was about a, well, she had a pile of payables and it was like eight or 12 inches thick, all of these invoices that we'd received that we owed. And it added up to $750,000. The timing of the year was May. And for some of you who may know about the charitable world, summertime is not the biggest time for giving. In other words, we were going into a low season, uh, typically for donations. And we had three or four months of payroll, May, June, July, August, before we hit back to our, our sort of core engine revenue of, of um, tuition and fees. Um, and so that would be about another million dollars or, or a little over a million that we owed. And we were fully drawn on a line of credit of a million dollars. Our line of credit at that point was a million and still is and in, in the difference is that we're down around zero right now. Um, and she called a management team meeting and we all gathered and she said, we are in a crisis and we just need to either make a plan or pray. And in this situation, we did both but she called us to prayer with that pile on the table in our, all of you know, our boardroom, our, our, number, our, our primary boardroom. She set them on the table and we prayed about how uh, we would work our way through this or how God would help us through. That's a beautiful setup because as we can imagine in the threat of, I mean, I can't imagine that much money and the threat of what that would do to the college, the oh, students. We were, we were so close to going under, it was crazy. Fully drawn on line of credit, accounts payable of seven fifty, payroll coming of a million, and in our low season on revenue. That sounds like a siege on every side. The inevitable is about to happen. And when Hezekiah heard this, he might have taken a cue from the future of Elaine in the boardroom. Chapter 37, verse 1. When Hezekiah heard this, he tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and went into the temple of the Lord. He sent Eliakim, the palace administrator, son of the secretary, and the leading priests, all wearing sackcloth, to the prophet Isaiah, son of Amoz. They said to him, Well, this is what Hezekiah says. This day is a day of distress and rebuke and disgrace. As when children come to the moment of birth and there is no strength to deliver them. It may be that the Lord your God will hear the word of the field commander, whom his master, the king of Assyria, has sent to ridicule the living God, and that he will rebuke him for the words the Lord your God has heard. Therefore, pray for the remnant that still survives. 
So Mark or Mark, how would you tweet Hezekiah's response to this crisis? Well, um, one could be hashtag wait on the Lord. Uh, another one could be hashtag wait for God to speak. Because part of his prayer is maybe God is going to say something against this field commander about what the field commander has said. So maybe hashtag field commander going down a wrong road. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I agree. Wait. Hashtag wait. It, it goes back to Moses. I don't want to move a min, an inch from this place unless the Lord goes with us mm. also. So let's see how the Lord responds to that. Verse 5. When Hezekiah's officials came to Isaiah, Isaiah said to them, Well, tell you, Master, this is what the Lord says. Do not be afraid of what you have heard. Do not be afraid of what you have heard. Those words, the underlings of the king of Assyria have blasphemed me. Oh, listen, when he hears a certain report, I will make him want to return to his own country, and there I will have him cut down with the sword. The Lord makes a prophetic promise. We hear his promise. And lo and behold, verse 8, when the field commander heard that the king of Assyria left Lachish, he withdrew and found the king fighting against Libna. It seems like there's some weird stuff going in play here. Could it be that the Lord's prophetic promise is on its way to being rescued? Well, Sennacherib, he wants to give one more kick at the can. So verse 9, let's, let's follow and let's see how he, he really wants to hit it home here. Sennacherib received a report that Tirhaka, the king of Cush, was marching out to fight against him. When he heard it, he sent messengers to Hezekiah with this word. So it's like, oh, i got to fight over here. But just one last warning for you guys over here. I then say to Hezekiah, the king of Judah, do not let your God, the God you depend on, deceive you when he says, Jerusalem will not be given into the hands of the king of Assyria. Surely you heard what the kings of Assyria have done to all the countries, destroying them completely. And will you be delivered? Did the gods of the nations that were destroyed by my predecessors deliver them, the god of Gols and Har and Rezef, and the people of Eden who will be jealous of? Where is the king of Hamath for the king of Arpad? Where are the kings of Lair, Sepharvaim, Hena, and Eva? Sennacherib now personally insults the Lord, trying to rip out the faith foundations of Hezekiah by spelling out the true and accurate reality in the world. True and accurate reality. COVID-19 is like nothing we've experienced in our lifetime. Seeing the college just go under in 2012, reality, accurate, true, how will Hezekiah respond? Verse 14. Hezekiah received the letter from the messengers and read it. Then he went up to the temple of the Lord. And whether it was a stack <laughs> that high or a scroll, he spread it out before the Lord, and Hezekiah prayed to the Lord, The Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, enthroned between the cherubim, you alone are God over all the kingdoms of the earth. 
You have made the heaven and the earth. Give ear, Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, Lord, and see. Listen to all the birds. Sennacherib has sent to ridicule the living gods. Well, it is true, Lord, that the Assyrian kings have laid waste to all these peoples and their lands. They have thrown their gods into the fire and destroyed them, for they were not gods, but only wood and stone, fashioned by human hands. Now, Lord, our God, deliver us from his hand, so that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you, Lord, are the only God. Fellas, how might you summarize what you just heard Hezekiah praying? How would you teach that to your grandkids? How would you teach that to your nieces and nephews? Well, one of the things that I would want to say is, I mean, he talks about reality. It is, he doesn't skirt over it or try to spiritualize it or make it less than what it is. And he does get it down to the root issue of if we are people of faith, then we need to have faith in the God who exists. And it is not other gods, other pressures in the world. And so to, to maintain faith in those, in those circumstances. Yeah. yeah, turn to the Lord. And Mark, uh, can I ask a, a question that, that may be a little bit uh, self-evident, but uh, when Elaine and you spread out all the bills, uh, and you prayed over in the Lord. Uh, did the college happen to survive? <laughs> that was when we hired Mark Jonah, and everything turned out well. <laughs> yeah, we we had a, a donor uh, step up to offer us two hundred fifty thousand dollars, but we had to match it. So, and I and I say this in the truest form of the word, with the Lord's help, we put out an appeal to match it, and we brought in, I think it was 650000 uh, <laughs> including his two fifty. So it was 400 match against his two fifty. That got us through um, part of it. Another was we fixed um, sort of our inefficiencies and our over cost overruns. And that has been our, our focus on since then is just to maintain cost control. We built some great relationships with donors, and they have been faithful as they've been faithful with God, they've continued to help us. And I don't say that in any way other than God has brought them to us as part of our team. And the result is our, we made it through that summer. Our payables are all current. And um, our line of credit is at zero. And, you know, we're sort of marginally profitable. I think we will lose money this year uh, because of the COVID change. Um, no, and, and other things, but but there are some reasons why we would this year might be a small loss. Like um, my guess is it'll be between zero and, and two hundred thousand dollar loss this year. But typically we'll make two to four hundred thousand dollars profit. So we've got a balance sheet that can handle that. So we praise God. Amen. Amen. It's a miracle. It's a miracle what He did. Now it didn't happen overnight. It would have been nice that way too, but. So, as you may know, this, the miracle of, is going to happen overnight here for Hezekiah. Uh, so often, God asks us to employ the principles of Proverbs, like uh, it's mentioned twice in Proverbs, the prudent see danger and take shelter. The fools just keep headlong into it uh, and don't do any social distancing. 
Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's what it says. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, God calls us to act in certain ways, and sometimes he's just combining and doing awesome miracles. I'm going to close out our text and come to the big punchline of, I think, what these two chapters is driving us towards. Uh, allow me just to delight in reading the poetry of what is to come, the prediction of Snekerit's fall. Uh, so if you enjoy poetry, uh, I, this will be naturally enjoyable for you. And if not, I'll try to make it interesting for you. Verse 21, Then Isaiah, son of Amos, sent a message to Hezekiah. Well, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. Because you have prayed to me. Because you have prayed to me concerning Sennacherib, king of Assyria. This is what the Lord has spoken against him. And this is God's poetry. This is God's taunt back against Sennacherib. Virgin daughter Zion despises and mocks you. Daughter Jerusalem tosses her head. I can't toss my head and like to get my daughters here with the long hair. Tosses her head as you flee. Who is it you have ridiculed and blasphemed? Against whom have you raised your voice and lifted your eyes in pride? Against the Holy One of Israel? <laughs> By your messengers, you have ridiculed the Lord. And you have said, I with my many chariots, I have descended to the heights of mountains, the utmost heights of Lebanon. I have cut down the tallest cedars, the choicest of its tunipers. I have reached its remotest heights, the finest of its forests. I have dug the wells in foreign lands and drunk the water there with the soles of my feet. I have dried up all the streams of Egypt. God says back, have you not heard? <laughs> Long ago, I ordained it. In the days of old, I planned it. Now I have brought it to pass. And that you have turned fortified cities into piles of stones. There are people drained of power, dismayed, put to shame, yeah. They are like plants in the field, like tender green shoots, like grass sprouting on the, on the roof, scorched before it dries up. But listen, buddy. I know where you are. And when you come, and when you go, and how you rage against me, because you raged against me, and because your insolence has reached my ears, I will put a hook in your nose, and I'll get in your mouth, and I will make you return right away you came. <laughs> this will be a sign for you, Hezekiah. This year, you will be behind a little bit maybe 200,000. You have to eat what grows by itself. And the second year, what springs from that? But in the third year, sow and reap, plant vineyards and eat their fruit. Once more, a remnant of the kingdom of Judah will take root below and bear fruit above. For out of Jerusalem will come a remnant and out of Mount Zion, a band of survivors. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Therefore, this is what the Lord says concerning the king of Assyria. He will not enter the city or shoot an arrow here. He will not come before it with shield or build a siege ramp against it. By the way he came, he will return. He will not enter this city, declares the Lord. I will defend this city and save it for my sake and for the sake of David, my servant. Then the angel of the Lord went out and put to death 185,000 in the Assyrian camp. Boom. When the people got up the next morning, there were all the dead bodies. So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, broke camp and withdrew. He returned to Nerat and stayed there. 
<laughs> One day, while he was worshipping in the temple of his god Nisroch, his sons Adramalek and Sherezer killed him with the sword. And they escaped to the land of Ararat. And Esahan, his son, succeeded him as king. Mark, give us the summary. Uh, how did the Lord respond to Hezekiah and why? That's you. <laughs> Are you sure? <laughs> no, I'm not so sure. You didn't say Dr. Mark, so I'll take a shot at this. How did the Lord respond to Hezekiah? I will be God. The creator is still the creator bringing order out of chaos. And I think, too, that it doesn't matter what is in front of us. It's never bigger than who God is. And that the way that he will solve everything might not be the way that we think it's going to happen or in the timing that we believe it should happen in, but to have faith and trust that the God who says he is, that's who he says he is, and he can accomplish what he wants to accomplish. And how would you describe the king of Assyria according to the text? Dead. <laughs> Distinctly. And arrogantly dead, yeah? <laughs> well, just a lot of bravado there that is built on a house of cards. It just falls apart. Absolutely. And the God of Israel said to Hezekiah, because you have prayed to me. It all turns out exactly as the Lord predicted. He was on his throne. Uh, lo and behold, he went back with a hook in his nose and his bridle in his mouth and uh, goes back and hears this letter, just like the Lord predicted, and he dies. God knows this story. He knows our story. He knows each living stone story and what we're supposed to do to participate in this moment, even while sequestered in our rooms or our houses. Uh, we don't want to go like all analogical and stuff like that about this text are we under siege by a sentient enemy? Unless you're a conspiracy theory person, no. <laughs> this is a virus. The only similarity between our crisis and Hezekiah's maybe is the concern over toilet paper. Uh, <laughs> that's like the worst description in the world of what happens to someone under siege, and we're just afraid of toilet paper. But uh, in this biggest crisis of Hezekiah's time, what does he do? He turns to the Lord in prayer. He laid it all out and said, God, this is the reality. These are all the things I'm worried about. These are all the things to worry about. These are realities. These aren't even hypotheticals. This has already transpired. This is likely to happen. So what should we do in this time of what may feel like our greatest life's insecurity and uncertainty? Especially when, as a friend said the other day, here we are in the West, and we have never before seen our idols of health, wealth, and control wobble on the shelves that our culture said were securely fashioned. Hmm. Isaiah 2 says, The arrogance of man will be brought low, and human pride humbled, 
The Lord alone will be exalted in that day, and the idols will totally disappear. What a fortunate world we are in that the shelves are making these idols wobble. For verse 20, it says in Isaiah 2, In that day, people will throw away to the moles and bats their idols of silver and idols of gold, which they made to worship. So how can we seek the Lord in uncertain times like this? Uh, In the email that comes out, I'll recommend at least one worry, if not two. If you're feeling stress, consider praying through Psalm 131. There's a video clip there which can kind of get you started in an idea of how to read that psalm and talk it back to God, and to be silent, calmed, and content, and just wait before the Lord to see what he might say to you. And if you're wondering how you're supposed to be functioning as living stones, what do you want me to do right now? My head is clear, my heart is clear, I'm ready to serve you. What do you want me to do? Uh, There's a prayer cycle idea that is being sent out as an attachment developed by the folks at uh, Zume Project, and... um, It's a paracycle that takes about an hour where you can learn to interact with the Lord and listen to the Lord, and it's a great meditative time. So just imagine, what would it be like to face our crisis like Elaine and Hezekiah? And that's all from me today. Mm. Thank you so much, John. And what a timely message for us to read a story in Scripture about a high anxious high anxiety situation where it looked like things were very inevitable and it's almost like we could see ahead and kind of know how this ends and we're working hard on trying not to make it our end and that's the day and age that we are in and so as we close this chapel why don't we pray and ask God to help us to be his people and to trust in him during this time. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word, how it instructs us, and how it shows us the story of real people who were in dire straits, terrible circumstances, being taunted that there is a God who doesn't care and who cannot save, and that they will be overrun. And just the inevitability of the situation, it seemed. And yet even during those trying circumstances, they turn to you and place their trust in the God who will preserve and uphold his name. Father, you know the condition of our world and of our circumstances, the anxiety that we feel over so many things that have changed. And as John has mentioned, all these things that we have placed our trust in the things that we thought would never change. And now people are filled with anxiety. Help us, Father, to always turn to you and to share exactly what is on our heart and on our mind because you are a God who listens and you are a God who cares and you are a God who acts and you will uphold your name and we believe that you are a good God and a righteous God. So meet the needs that we have Help us to be your people, your living stones, where we are today. And that you would help us to throw all our anxiety on you because you care for us. And we thank you for it. 
Bless our day, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.